The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Just as always, a real uh, privilege to get to share uh, truth from God's word with us. My, my name is Sam, I'm one of the pastors here at King's that will be uh, continuing our our series on Jesus Is, Um, and this morning I have the privilege of speaking on Jesus Is, the promised uh, King. Before I I delve into obviously reading scripture and then seeking to bring um, a few things to us, just two pictures I'd like to uh, share with us quickly, Uh, hopefully they will encourage us here in this place. Just a few weeks back, I, I sat in the car park uh, it was quite a, a misty morning. It was just mist everywhere. And as I sat in the car park and just looked around, I couldn't see the trees that formed the border between this, the land here and then um, the school next door. You honestly couldn't see the trees because there was mist everywhere. And in that moment, I could have sat in the car and thought to myself, actually, those trees do not exist, but that would have been a lie. And I felt God just impress upon me the fact that sometimes, even though we don't see him or hear him or experience his touch, it does not mean that he is not there. Sometimes there's lots of mist, and so therefore, we cannot see or hear. But that does not mean that he's not there. Guess what? The next day when I sat in the car park again, guess what? There was no mist, and I could see the trees. And the second picture, I felt God kind of like just highlight for me. Our our, our youngest son, before Mother's Day, brought home a a plastic pot. And um, he he said to his mom that it was her Mother's Day present. Apparently, they had sown some sunflower seeds. But initially, when you looked at the pot, it was just a pot full of dirt. And then he had drawn, you know, the sunflower plant on the side and all that. But you you couldn't see a sunflower. It was just a pot of dirt. Now, this morning, I sat in the kitchen having my breakfast, as always. I looked at that same pot, and that sunflower was beginning to grow. Initially, you looked and there was nothing. But this morning when I sat in the kitchen and looked at that pot, it was beginning to grow. And again, in that moment, just felt God impress upon me again about his promises. His promises are sure. His promises are certain. We don't sometimes immediately see things happening, but his promises are true. And if they are like that seed that has been sown, then the assurance is that it would grow. And so especially if we're trusting God in particularly turbulent times or difficult times, I'm certain there's many here in this place who are going through difficult times. Just to encourage you, well, sometimes the mist comes, but God is still there. Sometimes we don't see, but once the seed is there, it will grow and it will germinate. God is for us and he is 
with us. On to my preach now. Uh, Mark chapter 11. Last week, Paul was speaking to us from Mark chapter 14. If I'm right, Paul, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But we are going to backtrack in the story because on the Christian calendar today marks Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It's generally referred to as Palm Sunday. And so we will backtrack in the story, move from chapter 14, and then go into Mark chapter 11. As we consider the subject of Jesus is the promised king. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, I think the words will appear on the screen. I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 to 11. We're going to take that slowly, and then hopefully I can share a few thoughts uh, with us this morning. So Mark chapter 11 from verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing that? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Uh, it's quite a key uh, part of Jesus's uh, ministry, and this particular account or story is recorded in all four Gospels, and so it's in, it's in Matthew. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter uh, 21, I think. It's in Mark, obviously, Mark chapter 11. It's in Luke chapter 19, and then John in his Gospel in chapter 12 records this story as well. It's interesting that all four Gospel writers highlight different aspects of the story. So Matthew, in his gospel, tends to align himself with the fact that the story fulfills prophecy. Uh, Luke tends to highlight the fact that as people were praising Jesus, they asked them to be quiet, and Jesus says to them, well, if you ask the people to be quiet, the stones are going to praise me. John highlights the fact that at the time when this happens, the disciples do not realize what Jesus has said. Eventually, when he rose from the dead, they recognize the fact that Jesus meant what he was saying. Mark, however, is a bit of an interesting one. He just tells a story, and then sometimes he just leaves us hanging. And I think the idea is he wants us to work things out for ourselves. But anyway, the story starts, and it says that as they drew near to Jerusalem, I think Mark wants his readers to know the significance of this. Because you see, early on in chapter 8, 
When Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus had on three occasions mentioned about time in Jerusalem. Jesus had highlighted the fact that he had to go to Jerusalem, the fact that he would suffer at the hands of the Jewish authorities, the fact that he would be killed as well. On three different occasions, Jesus had spoken about time in Jerusalem. And so Mark warns his readers to know that the, the approach to Jerusalem is quite a significant one. He wants us to know that the tension is high. And so as they approach, he wants us to know something is about to start. In verses 2 to 6, of Mark chapter 11, we discover that Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead and he says, go into the village, you will find a colt untied and bring it to me. As you're doing that, if anybody says to you or wants to know why you're doing that, say to them, the master needs it. These two go ahead and they find things just as Jesus said they will be. We discover in these verses the fact that Jesus had some prophetic insight. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was man, but also fully God with prophetic insight. Not just that, but Jesus also had power and authority. So he could say to the disciples, if anybody should ask what you're doing or why you're doing that, just say to them, the master needs it. And I just want to pause here and just feel that some of us need to hear this. The master has need of you. I don't think he wants to ride you or anything, but the master who is Jesus, the king who is Jesus, has need of you. They go and they find things just as they are. We also need to note, Jesus makes clear about this quote, the fact that it was one that had never been ridden by anyone. I think that Mark wants to highlight the importance of this assignment. It was a, a sacred assignment. Nobody had ever ridden on this quote. Jesus was embarking on a very special journey. He was the king that was promised in the Old Testament who came into Jerusalem to be enthroned, but he didn't come in a way we expected him to come. You see, if you told the story to somebody in Rome or maybe a Roman citizen at the time, they probably would turn around and then laugh at you. You mean this is your king? Because you see, for Roman generals, especially when they came from battle, and to be able to be a key Roman general who saw great success, you had to at least have killed 5,000 enemy soldiers. All right? And so they would have killed 5,000 enemy soldiers. They would come strolling into the arena or the town center or the city center. Initially, it would be all the things they had captured from their enemies that would be at the front of the queue followed by prisoners who had been captured by this Roman general. And then there'll be units of the various uh, uh, bits of the Roman general's army. And then at the tail end will be the general himself being drawn in a chariot with stallions, not a colt. And as they came into the arena or the town center, 
there would be, you know, lots of noise and singing and shouting, they would start off by actually throwing the prisoners to wild animals so the wild animals could feast on them. And then at the end of the day, there'll be a big celebration. This is what the Romans saw as triumph. But Jesus came in a different way, in a lowly, humble way. There were some who missed that, but there were others who did not miss out on that fact. In verse 7, it says that as they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on the colt so Jesus could sit on the skull. Now, this particular act wasn't particularly remarkable because that would have been expected anyway. But the next thing they do in verse 8 is quite remarkable. I'm just going to need to step down and then get my coat. It was quite a remarkable thing they did. Because the next thing people started doing was to actually spread out their cloaks on the ground. Now, the remarkable thing about this was that it was actually a royal thing to do. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, when Jehu became king of Israel, people threw their cloaks on the ground so that King Jehu could walk on, I'm not going to walk on that, so that King Jehu could walk on the cloaks of the people who threw them on the ground. So as these guys did this for Jesus, it was a prophetic sign, but basically these people were also saying that Jesus is royalty. We, we identify or acknowledge the fact that Jesus is king. So we are happy to throw our cloaks on the ground so that Jesus could potentially come through into the city. It was a significant act. In the past, the Jews they knew what this meant because they did it for royalty, for kings. And in that moment, the people recognized Jesus as king. And so cloaks went on the ground as well as they celebrated Jesus. Jesus had come into Jerusalem. It was a sacrifice that people were making for their king. They were paving way for their king. They were saying, we welcome you, our king. Jesus, you are our king, and we welcome you. In verse 9, the story continues. As they welcome him, it says, those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's, it's interesting. Hosanna literally means save us. And I do wonder whether in that moment the people recognized who Jesus was. The fact that he came with salvation in his hands. And interestingly, Matthew and then John Connect this with Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Hopefully, it comes up on the screen. And this is what Zechariah 9, verse 9 says. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. 
in that moment, they recognize the fact that, yes, this is our king. They recognize that Jesus was the king who had been promised in the Old Testament. They recognize the moment, come and save us, Jesus, because he came with salvation in his hands. They go on. Blessed is he, they were basically quoting Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he, blessed is the coming kingdom, sorry, of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. They were now connecting Jesus with a kingdom. Blessed is he, blessed is the kingdom of our father. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna. In the highest. You, you can't have a king without a kingdom. And Jesus as king basically means that he rules and he reigns. And the people recognize the fact that this king had also come to effectively usher in a new kingdom. A different kind of kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that says that actually if you are going to, you are wanting to be rich, you don't have to hoard, but you have to give. A kingdom that says that actually it's okay to forgive people when they hurt you. A kingdom that says that actually you need to lay your life down so that you'll be glorified. And what kind of kingdom? It wasn't an earthly kingdom Jesus was bringing into the world, it was a heavenly kingdom, but a kingdom like no other. It wouldn't fit into the minds of men and women. Hosanna in the highest. The mention of David just highlights the fact that it was messianic. It was connected with the Messiah. It had been prophesied. interesting that when Jesus appears, he ushers in a new kingdom. And the reason is he wants to call men and women, young people, old people, who will be part of his kingdom, a very different kind of kingdom. We live in the United Kingdom. I was discovering recently because I had to uh, do a test. It's called Life in the UK Test. In order for me to continue to live here, I have to be tested. Thankfully, I passed it. It's called Life in the UK Test. And I was discovering that actually the Queen does not need a passport. Do you know why? Anybody? Ah, I think I'll have to, <laughs> I should get the exam board in here and say to them, actually, the Brits don't know it themselves. So the reason why the queen doesn't need a passport is because passports are issued in her name. Check your passports when you go home. You have to, you, I, I think I must get the exam board in here. Yeah, so the reason why the queen 
doesn't need a passport when she travels. She's, she's been most places around the world. The reason why she doesn't need a passport or travel with a passport is because passports are issued in her name. So she basically doesn't need one. Basically, she is the passport herself. <laughs> it's because of her authority as, as queen. And people who live in the United Kingdom acknowledge that. So we, we honor her as, as queen. Queen, her people. The same in the kingdom of God. Jesus as king, his people. The most important thing to notice about the kingdom of God is, because, is that it exists because Jesus is king. He is not just king, but he's also the Messiah. Not just the Messiah, but he's also the one promised in the Old Testament. Not just Israel's king, but he's the king of the world. And Jesus came to establish his rule and reign in the world. He does it differently. Jesus came, he suffered, he died, he was buried on the third day, rose from the dead. He did it differently. He came not to, not to serve, but to come. He came not so that he will be saved, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many, a different kind of king. Kings in my country, where I come from, don't do that. They love to be served. Jesus sets us a completely different example. As I finish off, how do we respond to this? I think, obviously, we can, we can do all the exposition. We can explain what the verses mean. But how should we apply this? How should you and myself apply this truth? of Jesus being king, Jesus ushering in a different kind of kingdom, how do we respond to this truth? If we say, Jesus, you are my king, and many of us were singing that this morning, what does that mean on a day-to-day -day basis? It's one thing standing here and singing, it's another thing when the rubber hits the road on a Monday morning, or on a Thursday evening, when your kids are like that and you just don't know what to do. In, in the context of work, how does Jesus is my king impact my life at work? Three things I want to highlight for us. The first thing is this. If we say Jesus is our king, it means a change in allegiance. We no longer honor just anything and everything, but we ensure that we actually are loyal and we honor Jesus who is our king. If we say, Jesus, you are my king, if Christ is king for us, it means that he deserves our honor, he deserves our loyalty and our obedience. We put ourselves under his authority and power. Now, I'm saying this, I need to hear this myself because I do not always make Jesus the one I honor. I don't always do it. Oftentimes, it's what I want. But if we're saying Jesus is king, 
then it actually means a change in allegiance. Who, who am I effectively responding to all the time? Is it just me? Is it just my needs? Or is one who is king of my life? A change in allegiance means that we are loyal to another. Who is Jesus? Secondly, another way we respond is a change in expectations and then priorities. You see, the difficulty with the kingdom is that it is here, but it is also not here in its fullness. And the world oftentimes seems to grow further and further away from the truth and from God. But we need to understand that this life that we live is not all that there is. Actually, Jesus promises life beyond this life. The hope of the kingdom is that there is far more to life than what we see now. And Jesus makes extraordinary promises with regard to the future. The kingdom may not yet be fully fulfilled, but Jesus says when he comes again, we will see his kingdom in all its glory. And so therefore, our expectations change. We just live for the here and the now. Knowing that Jesus is king over our lives challenges and changes our expectations. Not just our expectations, but also our priorities in, in, in life. We bring kingdom values into our everyday. You see, the kingdom is not there and then we are here. Let's use that example again. We live in the United Kingdom. You can't live in the United Kingdom and say, well, I don't owe allegiance to the queen. No, it doesn't work that way. We honor the queen. If we are part of the kingdom of God, we've got to honor Jesus, who is the king. Our priorities have got to change. We've got to effectively invite Jesus into the day-to-day -day life that we live. I often use this example Every now and then I have, maybe have an argument with my wife. And oftentimes, I am the cause. But I don't want to apologize. And so I walk away. And I, don't tell my wife I said this. <laughs> I am learning to not do it. But I do sometimes give her the silent treatment. And I know I know she doesn't like it, but I do it. And it's my way of getting back at her. And oftentimes God challenges me in those moments. No, you've got to go, go say sorry to your wife. Go and apologize. No, I won't do it. <laughs> you, you, you've got to go say sorry to Claire. The way we bring kingdom in there is to recognize that, look, you can get it wrong sometimes. And then I go and find Claire, and I go, sorry, sorry, sorry for what I said. <laughs> but it's, it's so powerful. 
because suddenly, like ice falls, peace comes, and then we're back again. At work, so three days I work for Kings, two days, many of you would know I still work for Parchment Trust. I find myself at Parchment, and my boss wants me to do something. Well, how do I, how do, I do that? Do I do it with all my heart? Do I just do it anyhow? No, I think as we bring kingdom in there, God would want us to do it and to do it well. So that your boss looks at the work you have done and says, good job. That's how we bring kingdom into the day today, in our families, in our relationships, in our conversations. Bring kingdom in. We are not separate from the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom. So bring kingdom values into the day today. Bring kingdom values in there. Finally, so I talked about a change in allegiance, a change in expectations and priorities. Finally, a change in one's lifelong mission. You see, Jesus affects the outlook of one's life. Once we become a part of this kingdom, he gives his followers purpose and a mission. I am finding that again and again when people have asked me where I see myself, you know, that two, three, I mean, people ask that question. I find that again and again, often I'll say things like, well, I'm not too sure where God wants us to be. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not just saying it because I'm just wanting to use some Christian jargon, but I have found that over the years, God has, has led us as a family and he has impacted our lives. And so we've gotten to this place where we have come to realize and recognize that actually our lives are in his hands. Well, God willing, we might be doing this. God willing, we might be doing that. Oh, maybe God would still want us here. So a few people have asked us, when are you coming back to Bexhill? And we say to them, well, at the minute, we feel God wants us to be here. Maybe God might send us somewhere, but at the minute, we feel God wants us to be here. And that's what it means when... Uh, basically, there's a change in, 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 in our life's long mission. It's, it's no longer about us, but it's to do with where God wants you to be and the fact that he begins to affect your life and my life. When you're making decisions and choices, it is oftentimes down to where does God want me and what does God want for me? Jesus as king influences us in that area as well. I'm just going to pray for us and I'll finish. Jesus, I thank you that you are king over our lives. And I thank you that we are, we are part of your kingdom. Jesus, as you ushered in the kingdom, you made a point about the need to repent, to turn away from sin and effectively put our trust in you. You, in ushering the kingdom, spoke about repent and believe. And I just want to pray that if there are people here this morning who need to hear that, about turning around and following in your ways, Jesus, would you help them to respond in that way? I really want to ask that each one of us would reconsider again where our allegiances lie. I pray that we would reconsider again um, how we're leading ourselves effectively. I pray that we would reconsider again 
who really is king um, of our lives. And Jesus, I pray that we'll be helped to see that you're not just king of Israel, but you are king of all the world, uh, that you are king of men, women, and children, that you are king of the nations. And Jesus, we want to acknowledge you as such. I just pray that you would reveal yourself again. Jesus, seated on the throne. Church, behold your king. Church, behold your king. Church, behold your king. Church, behold your king. His name is Jesus. Church, behold your king. His name is Jesus. Church, behold your king. Hosanna in the highest. Hallelujah. God bless you richly.